ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hi there, Chris and Dan. Thank you so much for your podcast. I absolutely love the conversations that you have and the people that you interview. Uh, this is Debbie Krupski here, and uh, you actually gave me the confidence to, well, part of the reason for why I could return to the UK after four years of travels abroad, far and wide, where I've been listening to your podcast from all kinds of different locations across the globe, and most recently, Sedona, Arizona, and also Sri Lanka, Aragon Bay in Asia, uh, is is hearing the climate of your thought and knowing that that was taking place in the place that I used to call home. So who knows what will be the future for my travels, but uh, I'm so pleased that you do what you do. Thanks. Keep it up. Hey, what is up, everyone? And thank you so much to Debbie for that message there. So good to hear from you and your travels honestly sound incredible. And we all know what goes down in Sedona. So I hope you had a great time. And we honestly love these audio messages. And these messages are more about you than us. You don't need to tell us how much you love the podcast, even though it is great. Our egos are big enough. We honestly want it to be about all about you guys. Where are you listening to this thing from and what you're up to out there in the ocean of life? So anyway, please keep them coming because honestly, you guys are fucking awesome and beautiful people. So this week, we bring to you another podcast from our time at the Glastonbury Symposium. We're joined by Gary King and Gary has been researching the crop circle and UFO phenomenon since 1997 and he's been fascinated by these areas ever since. He's lectured both nationally and internationally. And as you know, the UFO phenomenon is something that I've been interested in for ages now, and every chance that we do get to dive into this sort of stuff, I jump in head first, because I think it's really interesting. And in this podcast, as you will see, we not only just talk about UFOs and crop circles, and also the, and many other stuff, we actually... As you know by now, this podcast goes all over the place. So the podcast ends up going into philosophy, how people see the world, how secrets can actually be hidden in plain sight. And Gary really is an interesting person who is asking all the juicy questions and really does have an interesting insight into how the human mind works. So anyway, please stay open-minded as always. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that through our Patreon page. And we also have a one-off donation option now. And I wanted to say thank you as well to Lucy, who virtually a couple of days ago dropped $50 into there to support the podcast. And I also wanted to thank new patrons, Victoria and Nobertus. You really are all amazing. And all the other patrons as well are really amazing. And this is not something that we're spending on ourselves or making millions from. I just want to let you know that. This money basically allows us to put some money in the petrol tank to record these podcasts when we're traveling to different people 
So if you can support us, it would really be amazing. So enjoy this podcast with Gary King. Yeah, but um, like I said before, we, we are being really both looking forward to having a conversation and obviously the UFO phenomenon is something that definitely interests me and Chris and mm. people who listen to this podcast and know that my additional roots into even in health, into spirituality, consciousness, all this came from my address when I was 14 years old, looking into UFO phenomenon and things like that. But just to paint a bit picture, what actually inspired you in the, to get in a UFO phenomenon? Um, well, I have to point out, first of all, that I'm, I'm not technically a UFO researcher. I'm, yeah. I'm a crop circle researcher. I've been involved yeah. in the crop circles for yeah. 20 years. And the crop circles are fairly unique uh, in terms of a paranormal phenomena mm. in that, you know, before you have, for example, um, people who investigate poltergeists yeah. or people who, who are looking into healers, or spiritual healers, that they are their own genre. Mm-hmm. But the crop circles brought everything of that together cool, cool. everybody that's visited the crop circles you've got the Mayans who can see stuff in it you've got philosophers Chinese because the yin yang symbols have come you've got UFO people who are saying aliens are do it you've got religious people because religious iconography has been in the crop circles so where we've had all these paranormal events that have happened throughout history the crop circle is the crop circles are the most contemporary mm-hmm. form of paranormal phenomenon that's yeah. going on which seems to pull all of that stuff into this basket one of which is ufos yeah and as a result of that i've made friends with quite a lot of ufo researchers and i've always had an interest since i was a boy as well you know like lights in the sky yeah. visits by extraterrestrial science fiction tv you mm. know that kind of stuff it thrills us doesn't yeah, it yeah definitely but um but i but i quickly realized that these the, these people, a lot of these people, these UFO researchers, define their lives by becoming missionaries, by deciding, okay, I'm convinced there's something going on, and I need to spend the rest of my life convincing all those people who are naysayers that there's yeah. something going on. And I've seen a lot of people go a little bit crazy because people won't address certain details or facts or yeah. whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and one of the things with the crop circles, you know, if you mention, you know, the usual dinner conversation is, what do you do? And you say to somebody, you know, I research crop circles. <laughs> oh, you believe in aliens, do you? Yeah. And they sit back That's and say, go it. on then, convince me, yeah. they say. <laughs> <laughs> as, if, as if I'm supposed to be delighted to hear that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you sort of say to somebody, well, uh, have you ever been to a crop circle? And they say, no. So you've only just read... What you've yeah, read exactly. in the papers or uh, yeah, exactly. yes. You've seen signs on the front. Right, <laughs> right. yeah. So Mel yeah. Gibson there. <laughs> okay. And so I say, Well, you know, I've been I've I've visited over a thousand, I've spent twenty years now, you know, looking into various areas of the symbology and then trying to yeah. de- decide all sorts of things. It's not really a level playing field yeah, for definitely. me to just sit here and start going, Oh, please believe that there's something yeah. really going on and also I don't really care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, so I, so I changed my, for the sake of my own sanity, I changed my tact from thinking I'm supposed to be some kind of manic street petri missionary yeah. convincing the masses, who seem to be being duped by the mainstream media in the fact that this one word hoax mm-hmm. is the one that. 
So, um, so that's why I'm not really. I would not class myself as a ufologist because it seems to me that they endlessly present pictures, fuzzy pictures of yeah. things in the sky and testimonies of witnesses, of which there are numerous, right. and nothing ever changes. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted like to clear up straight away off the bat. I mean, there's going to be so many people out there who'll see us straight away, like, well, that can be man-made, just right. just for their own purpose or an agenda to make people believe that there is something sure. out there. Sure. So how much is that confirmed than there is something else? If you know what I mean. In the crop circle arena? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. When I, when, I, when I give a presentation on crop circles, I spend the first sort of 15 or 20 minutes dealing with the, the man-made issue. Yeah. And you remember Carl Sagan back in the 70s said yeah. that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. If, you, if I want to yeah. bounce around saying UFOs exist, it's a pretty extraordinary claim, mm-hmm. you, some might say. Yeah. And, and therefore, something pretty extraordinary other than a fuzzy picture might need to be done to prove that that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. But then, with the crop circles, all we really have is a bunch of guys on one side who say, we go out and make them. Mm-hmm. They don't prove it to us. They've never shown it to us. In fact, when we see demonstrations of crop circles being made, they're always done under completely different conditions than what we see the vast majority of crop circles appearing under. Ah, right. So, for example, last year, Ashai Beer commissioned to have a crop circle made to promote their beer in New Zealand. Cost them a million bucks. They hired 40 professional people, surveyors, drone pilots, land workers, and so forth. You can check this all out on the internet. And they used of latest sort of technology from a company called Mazescape, which basically geotags a design onto a piece of land. Mm-hmm. So from a satellite, this, yeah. this design is projected, and you walk around with a stick, and it vibrates to tell you where you've got to hammer your stake in, and put your ribbons around. And then they used strimmers to cut the crop out, right? And then the big areas, it's basically the badge of the front of Ashai, is what they made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they used tractors with big lawnmower attachments to cut out all the big areas. So there wasn't any beautiful lie or you know the crop wasn't weaved that we've seen or undamaged on the ground that we've seen numerous times it was cut out oh. and from the air it looked like a crop circle right because the design made a crop. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it took 40 guys seven days from sunrise to sunset to make it now in 2007 on the 7th of the 7th of the 7th I'd then been researching crop circles for 10 years and that night, because of the date, right, 777, me and my mm. girlfriend said, why don't we do a night watch? I'd never really done a night watch before. I wasn't really interested in catching mm. something, right? I'm yeah. not a kind of thrill seeker with, I want to see a ball yeah. of light deal. Well, would be in my bed. But that <laughs> night, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> let's go and have a thing. So yeah. we went up there. And it was midsummer, so it was, you know, it was a bit chilly on top of the hill. We walked up there and we catched, catched up with this UFO guy called Winston Keach, who... Um, actually turned out to be subsequently turned out to be quite a special guy he, he, he's been a UFO researcher for years but um, he, we know when you put your credit card in a machine and you put chip your pin number in, yeah, yeah. this guy invented it mm-hmm. wow. right? and he invented he worked for Rolls Royce and designed aircraft engines and worked as a fighter pilot and spent his life growing up next to a um, RAF Fryingdales in York 
mm-hmm. in Yorkshire, sorry, and had seen flying craft that he couldn't explain, and he oh. knows about physics and astrophysics. Yeah, right? so it's from mm-hmm. the rear position. Right, well. so we meet up with this guy, right, at the top of the hill. He's standing, he's got this big leather jacket on, he's like a transformer. And I'd met him, coincidentally, there's a whole other backstory to that. I'd met him for the first time ever, coincidentally, earlier in the day. So I recognised this leather jacket and I shouted to him, win! And we walked over and he had a blanket and he, had a, and he told us he's got all these cameras set up, right? So down in his van he's got these really light sensitive cameras that are aimed at this field, Eastfield, which is where the Led Zeppelin crops are. Because the big famous one that was on Led Zeppelin's album came, this, oh, yes. that field, which yeah. is the famous field, right? And he's got all these cameras recording to video and they've been recording since 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. okay? We got there about, I think it was about 1 a.m. So we sat down, and he was a really interesting guy, and I'm quite a gregarious, as you can probably already tell. Right? So I love to chat, <laughs> yeah. and I like—I've been coming at things because I was interested in martial arts and chi, and I've been exploring the whole metaphysical aspect of mind and chi and all that sort of business. And this guy was a total scientist and you know physical world stuff. But rather than argue with each other, we were naturally trying to find terminology so that we could move the conversation forward, which is actually quite a rare thing between yeah, human beings. That's really powerful. That. And so the energy between Wynne and I went up and up and up and up because we were really both gregarious guys who were exploring areas of things that you don't really get a chance to go very far with most people because they want to yeah, be devil's advocate or yeah. whatever. Then about 3.20am when it was absolutely pitch black, you couldn't see the field that was laid out in front of us. You could just see lights in the distance and the odd car going past. Mm. There was an almighty flash of light. It looked like lightning, it was just one. There wasn't any before it and there wasn't any after it, just this one flash of light. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> we sat there for about 20 minutes and sort of, uh, I remember saying at one point, oh, if there's something in the field there when it gets light, I bet that's when it happened, you know? Yeah. Um, so Wynne said, uh, about 20 to four, Wynne said, oh, let me, let's have a look with the light, light set, because he had this light enhancing camera that he could scan the field with, with us on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. So he fires this thing up. And we're wrapped in sleeping bags and you know blankets and all the rest of it. And he opens the, I never forget it, he opens the viewfinder and he says, guys, you've got to get up. And, and we were like, what is it, what is it? And we jumped out of our sleeping bags. And through this viewfinder, we could see this huge crop circle in the field below us, but we couldn't see it with our eyes. And we were in shock, you know, because we were looking backwards and forwards between the viewfinder and the, and the, and the field. And, and we're like, wow, wow. So we had to wait another 10 or 15 minutes for the light to start coming up. So we only have about five hours of darkness in midsummer, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And there it was, a thousand and thirty-three foot crop circle by five hundred twenty feet, consisting of a hundred and fifty circles in the shape of like a big om. Some people call it, look like a dragon or some sort of monster beast thing. Wow. Now, okay, let's just do some eleven plus sums here, right? Don't do that with me. <laughs> really simple stuff. Eleven nah, o'clock. Still don't do it. No, no, no. I'm going to do it. Eleven o'clock. <laughs> 11 o'clock at night until 4 in the morning it's 5 hours right yeah. you can get your head around that okay is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you your watch uh, so 60 minutes in an hour is 300 minutes right 5, mm-hmm. five 6 is a 300 so 300 minutes is 150 circles appear there's one every 2 minutes wow. now the thing is a lot of what a lot of people don't know about crop circles is that they're not actually circles. It's an incom- it's an inaccurate name because most crop circles do not appear on flat ground. They appear on undulating ground. Mm. 
Now, yeah. if you put, if you draw a circle on undulating ground, it will not look like a circle from above. You have to compensate for the topography of the land with a crop circle to yeah. make it look like it's on flat ground from above. So, one of the big circles in that formation that appeared in front of us was on the brow of what was quite quite a kind of hill with an incline. The land went like this, like an undulation. Mm-hmm. When we measured it, it was 160 feet by 141, confirming that it was actually oval-shaped to make it look circular from above. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I'm supposed to believe that a team of seven people, not 40 like the Ashai beer, went in front of us. We didn't hear them. We didn't see them. They never used any torches. And we recorded the field from 11 till 3, and there was a crop circle that size in front of us. I don't believe their claims. I believe the, the claims that they could make that in the darkness under those conditions to be an extraordinary claim. And all I've ever asked for is ordinary evidence that yeah, yeah. prove that they can do it. Not extraordinary. Just show us. Just mm-hmm. go out in the night and make one of those. And they don't. Mm-hmm. And moreover, I want them to make one that has no damage because I have videos and photographs from the many, many formations I've been in which show that there has been no crushing, which, you can, which in a man-made formation you see yeah. the consistent crushing. I've got footage and formation and detailed photographs which show there is no crushing. So I want to know how these men lay the crop as they claim to do with the boards that they claim to use without breaking it. When you see, when you see a man-made one, what's the, oh, what's the difference? Well, it's easy to spot because you walk in, first of all, they, they never quite get, uh, some people have made some quite good ones. And when they do it, they do it in the daytime, usually for a TV show. Mm-hmm. They take a lot longer to make it. And usually when you go in there and examine the crop inside, not usually, always when you go in and examine the crop afterwards, it's broken because they've crushed and crushed and crushed yeah, yeah. their way around it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's another one you can watch on YouTube, the Mozilla Firefox symbol. It was, it was, oh, cro- yeah. it was a I crop circle that. made by 12 students from the University of Oregon a few years back. It took them 23 hours to make this crop circle. Um, it was just 200 foot wide, very simple design. And when you see the photographs of what it looked like after they've been trampling around in it all day, it looked like the floor of a woodworker shop after yeah. you've been using a yak. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> What's the technique of like, well, obviously that maybe they don't know the technique what to use, but what is the technique of the, you said, it, did you say it was like a weave? That yeah, like yeah. I mean, it, there's like a formation that appeared day before yesterday, 2026, up in Warwickshire near Leamington Spa, and all of the lay inside has been woven. It's like a, 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 a turbine that's spinning, right? The whole design of the yeah. formation. And inside each of the circles that lays at the end of this design, all of the w- crop has been weaved inside on the floor to make it look like a turbine. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they fold and weave, and you get layers of crop going in all sorts of different directions. There's thousands and thousands of... of uh, is that like a really hard process to do as well? Well, it's impossible to yeah. do because, oh, well. because if you tread on crops... See, for example, I'll go to a crop circle fresh at six in the morning, right? If I'm lucky, I'll get to, to an early one. And, and, and the fact is, if you spend 20 years living in Wiltshire or being in Wiltshire for a very long time and you're lucky, during that time, on a, on a handful of occasions, you'll get the report first and you're, or you might be lucky to discover one like I have. Mm-hmm. Get inside. And when you do that, you see that the lay is absolutely pristine and not da- uh, not damaged in any way. In fact, it's it's like halfway up the standing crop um, as if it's been brushed over with some sort of airbrush. Yeah, I know what you mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, uh, oh, no, go, on, go um, ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say that these crop circles, um, and the one that you 
particularly sane that night. Was there anything else out of the ordinary, such as maybe like um, an increase in heat, um, an increase in like? The only thing that was out of the ordinary was 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 the was the brilliant conversation I was having with this guy that you know you don't really get a chance to explore issues with someone who you would see as perhaps having a different view of reality than yeah. you. You'd find mm-hmm. areas to be contentious with each other rather than areas to be cooperative with each other to try and find out. That, that's what I say was, yeah. was, was unusual mm. about the evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you know, the, um, you, I would want to see your opinion on the, the crop circle that was done. Do you know the one with the... Uh, I think it was actually a message, like sort of... Uh, Oh, at the face, the alien face, yeah, the, the alien face, and the sort of the DNA well, strands, and you know, I didn't, go, I didn't actually get to go inside that one, but I've looked at many, fo- many, many photographs. That's quite a famous one, isn't it? It really is. Um, Two thousand and one, I think that came down. There was, there was, a, there, it, there were a couple that appeared in the same place. It was right by a radio telescope, um, so it had this kind of connection, reference to communicating or doing something with outer space. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it was right near the radio telescope. In Chilbolton. So the first year there was um, there was a face that was made out of a sort of dot matrix. Turn like a Is it all right? All right. A dot matrix kind of. Um, you know, like when uh, uh, there was a man called Eugene Ives back in the twenties. Who, when you know, when you look at newspaper print, when yeah. you look at it closely, it's all made of dots. Yeah, yeah. Well, this crop circle was made of dots, and and when you flew over it. The, the tonality of it showed that there was a face like it was pu- pushing itself out of the wheat. Wow. Right? And then next to that was a message. Now, in 1974, Carl Sagan and a bunch of other guys used the Arecibo telescope in New Mexico to send a message into space. Yeah, really interesting. You remember about this? Yeah. And it was basically a message that if any alien civilization picked it up was, was going to find out about us, right? So we told them that we had a number counting system from one to 10. Mm-hmm. And we told them that we had you know, four elements, hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, and oxygen in our DNA. Um, there were details about where in our solar system that we were the third planet from the sun mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff that kind of, you know, and, and then the final, final um, thing, I think there were 10 things. The final one was showing them a picture of the Arecibo telescope to show them the sort of technology we had used to send this message to whoever might receive it. Oh, wow. One right. that interests me as well, though, um, sorry to jump in and I'll let you finish, but um, what I remember as well is it was not like a, a, it depicted a picture of the human genome. Yes. Um, and then basically they sort of, rep- so it was like basically like sort of um, the standard posture pose of, what, what do you call that standard posture pose again? It was a oh, famous... But it's like the average height. So yeah, basically the average height sta- was 5'7". Yeah, something. So it's like it a, a person standing up hand. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the picture that was back was like sort of another sort of... It was an alien that was alien, through, through basically alien, yeah. proper head and pointy alien, eyes. Proper and head, that, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So that yeah, was the message that was in, weaved into the crop next to it. I mean, Carl Sagan said, who, how, what aliens would reply in a, in, in, a, in a crop circle and just dismissed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was interesting because the DNA had another thing added, which was silicon. Yeah, it showed um, that they occupied like a couple of different moons or planets around where where their sun. Oh wow! Uh, and and the last point, the interesting point about how they sent the the message, which is still a puzzle, was that the year before there'd been a crop circle right in the same place next to the telescope, and there was a picture of that at the bottom. So it kind of implied that. The crop circle that was there the year before activated this message the year after. Yeah, it's no, cool. yeah, 
Kai's insane. It's kind of insane. It's so incredible. The following year, the one that you just mentioned appeared, yeah. which was this huge alien. Now, instead of using dot matrix that was used in newsprint, a, a technology that we sort of discovered in the 20s, now we're using these straight horizontal lines that we use for television. Mm-hmm. where you have these bars and little bits of it are thicker and thinner and that makes up the image well that's how this crop circle was constructed and if wow. you look at it on the ground it's just <laughs> forget it you can't you couldn't see what it was and it was very very big mm. and then next to that was this disc which a man called Paul Vigay decoded into ASCII the basic computer language yeah. mm-hmm. and when he converted that then into the alphabet it had this message which said uh, beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Uh, there is much pain, but still time. Um, uh, there, hang on, let me just get this message right. Beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Much pain, but still time. Uh, believe there is good out there. We oppose deception. Conduit closing. Oh, that, wow. was, that was what the message said when wow. it was translated. That's really fascinating. That. And um, just to change it up a little bit, because uh, before I forget to go here, but yesterday in your speech, We'll be caught a little bit of your speech, and you would, and obviously I've been aware of this as well. And I wasn't aware of the second case because I think you talked about in your speech yesterday. You talked about two cases mm-hmm. of um, different school scenarios mm-hmm. where they were encountering UFOs. Um, but I always remember that one for me was the, I think it was the Australian school. Was it the yeah, Australian sim, sim? Was it Zimbabwe? Well, uh, the, the, the Australian was in '66. Uh, the yeah. Australian incident was '66. That's at a yeah. Westall High School and yeah. Westall State School, and the Zimbabwe one was um, 1994. Yeah, could you yeah. just like, sort of go into a bit more detail sure. what happened in that scenario? Because I um, think it's a really interesting story. That, well, they really are interesting cases. He, one of the things I try to say to people is that, you know, there's phenomenon A um, and the phenomenon B, mm-hmm. okay? And phenomenon A might be what you're investigating, right? That the UFOs, like the lights in the sky or the crop circles on the ground yeah, yeah. or the, the guy who, you know, cut somebody open and heals them in absolute um, opposition to what modern yeah. current science would tell us should mm-hmm. be possible right so all of these things are out there and have and all of these things have been out there for a very long time phenomenon b is how we respond to them it's how us humans respond to these things what what is our reaction mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yeah and so i think there's more data to be had from our reaction to incidents than, than from the incidents themselves. That so, makes sense. so you're basically yeah, saying that they'll teach us more about ourselves right. than right. about them. Right. Any good teacher knows that a student has issues, for example, that are blocking his way. Right. If, you, if you've got a coach of, a, of an athlete, you know, he might have a problem with girls and the coach has got to say, yeah. look, you're a brilliant athlete, you can do all these things, yeah. but you're not turning up for practice because you keep going off of all those girls. Yeah. Do you understand? So, so, he, so he wants to try and educate this bloke that he's going to lose potential of his life or lose, you know, what he could achieve in life mm-hmm. unless he changes his priorities and his focus, right? Well, this is what a good coach would do. This is what a good coach would do, right? He, yeah. need, he needs to help this guy to say, look, you need to put your life in balance. He's not saying don't see girls and be celibate or whatever, but you're too much out and then this goes at night. You've got no energy <laughs> when you turn up for practice or you don't turn up at all. You've got loads of potential, but you're going to go nowhere, boy, right? <laughs> so you need, you, need to get, you need to get in the program. Now, most kids are just going to go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll do whatever you say, coach, and still sneak around. Right? That's, that's what yeah. we do, right? But a smart coach... He's going to try and find some way to get this guy to see himself mm-hmm. and go, shit, I'm really, I'm really blowing my potential here, right? And so 
you know, I don't think it takes a million dollar scientist to work out that, you know, humanity, what, what humanity could be, what we could achieve collectively, is certainly not being achieved. Yeah, In fact, we're going the opposite and we're very destructive. And so one thing that is clear about humanity is that if somebody comes in and tells us what to do, we'll tell them to get on their bikes because mm -hmm. we don't like being told what to do. Exactly, yeah. So we need to be given a bit of wisdom. But if there's a resistance to wisdom, we won't listen to the debate, then we got a problem. Mm -hmm. So I proposed these two cases of Westall and Zimbabwe yesterday because they involve children and they show very clearly what we did to those children who came forward with an extraordinary story. Yeah, really yeah. So Westall 66, there's about 585 students, I think, between these two schools, Westall High School, Westall State School. And one morning, a young kid sees something in the sky, shouts to all the other kids, and they all look up and see these silver objects, flying saucers that they describe them as classic, in the, in the sky. Lots of screams and shouts. <coughs> one of them runs into a teacher, a science teacher, Mr. Greenwood, tells him that there's something going on. He runs out, and a couple of other teachers run out, one with a camera, and start clicking. Mm -hmm. These UFOs then flew over to a place in the distance called the Grange. All the kids hopped the fence and chased after it. And it seemed to land in the field and then, then they shot off. Um, within half an hour, the authorities showed up, along with the news media, and wanted to interview these kids. But the authorities showed up, and a lot of men who, whose origins weren't really known, they seemed to be the classic men in black, yeah. uh, and said, instructed the teachers to inform all the kids that there was no such thing as UFOs, that they were deluded, they were nuts, they were stupid, and that they've got to forget all about it and they mustn't talk about it. And anyone that did talk about it was in serious trouble. Some kid got detention for talking to a reporter. <laughs> Crazy. You know, one kid, um, Tanya, fainted when she saw the UFOs, was carried away in an ambulance, never seen again. When her friends went round to her house, and they'd gone to this house many times before and stayed over Whoa. at this house, um, she was told by a Yugoslavian woman who answered the door that Tanya doesn't live there, has never lived there. So, so this is a right mystery, right, with this case. Yeah. And it's, so what happened? What happened to it? Well, well, no, uh, no, well, subsequently, the investigator Shane Ryan, who's, who's done this wonderful documentary um, on this incident back in 2010, he managed to track her down and speak to her on the telephone. She refused to go on record. But she said that basically she was given ECT therapy and has no memories of her life before oh. that age. Mm. Um, did you say what, um, what? How was her encounter with um, this alien? Or did she was she closest to the alien, or did she no, just faint out of? The, uh, in the documentary, it shows that she was sort of with other, all the other kids, sort of running down towards the Grange. They were all kind of scared, but at the same time, so curious that they yeah. wanted to chase it. And some kids, sort of on the approach towards it, just got really, really hysterical. Yeah. And she was one of them. Well, something else I want to. Um because I think the one, obviously I know that of that case as well, because obviously I heard your talk yesterday and that was a case that I didn't actually know of. But the other case that I thought was interesting was the one, I mean, I'm not sure what country it was. I thought it was Australia. It might have been a different country, like I said, Zimbabwe or something like that. Um, but the children were sort of English-speaking, but I don't, know it was like a, I don't know if it was like a rich part of... Zimbabwe. The one Zimbabwe, I showed yesterday yeah. was Zimbabwe, 1994, yeah. yeah. Was it, it might have mm. been the one in Australia then, I think, where... Um, well, they were English speaking. In yeah, Zimbabwe. yeah, they were, yeah. These, these were these were predominantly oh, right, cool. white kids in in a, in a in yeah a, in a rich in a, part of in a, you know a yeah. white you know the history of South Africa, yeah, of right? So, yeah. so you know there, there there was a lot of white 
wealthy yeah, yeah. farmers and industrialists down there. And this is one of those schools. There were there were black children yeah, like there. Yeah, the British but, but Yeah, and they spoke English. And they spoke very good English. You can you watch mm. the interviews of these children. They're, they're speaking in better received pronunciation. Than yeah, most but kids from the council. What, what was states, um, yeah <laughs> better than us anyway? <laughs> what I was um, interested though was actually how because this is on the available on YouTube, and you'll be more familiar with this. And um, the the in this particular one that I'm referring to, I don't know if it's the one that you just talked about there, but they actually had one-on-one interviews with the kids themselves, yeah, and the yeah. kids were given eyewitness accounts of seeing that, what, well, describing what they looked well, like. The reason I, like well, the that. reason I um, I used that case as well yesterday was there were two reasons, predominantly. There were a number of reasons, but there were two predominantly. The first one was um, that with the heavy-handed tactics that were applied to these kids at Westall yeah. in Australia in '66. Really heavy-handed tactics, disappearing kids, threatening teachers that if they went on the record yeah. that they would be branded an alcoholic and their career would be ruined. Mm-hmm. There were top scientists who were ridiculed and, and had their careers ruined over pursuing too many answers. It was a really heavy-handed affair by on behalf of the men in black, let's say, yeah, right? yeah. or whoever. Yeah. Um, 30 years later, a very identical incident happens in Zimbabwe. Nothing like it. In fact... Professor John Mack, the foremost, you know, recognised psychiatrist, one of them on the faculty at Harvard, investigated the case. And yet, when, when I asked everybody in the audience yesterday to put their hands up, who had heard heard of uh, the Zimbabwe uh, incident? Three people. Yeah, I hadn't heard of the one that you were talking about. I, I only the one I'm referring to is the one in. Am I correct that it was in Australia? The one I'm referring to. Well, I'm not sure what one you're referring to. So you seem to be was, jumping back and forth between yeah, the two. Because obviously, um, the one that you're referring to was. I don't think. It was because um, it was more like you said they didn't give access to the children to talk to the children. I don't think in yours did they? Like, right. No, I, I yesterday you must have missed my. You couldn't see. Yeah. The second half of my presentation yesterday was with John Mack interviewing the children. Oh, so that may be the one that I'm. That's the one you're talking about. Yeah. In 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 the Australia case, no one was allowed to talk to anybody. All oh, right. And yeah. any media that did do interviews were all their films were confiscated and all that yeah. sort of business. But in but in the Zimbabwe case, Professor John Mack. Who let's 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 say it for what it is, right? Professor John Mack was probably the world's leading expert for telling whether or not you're nuts. If he had a conversation with you, this man is professionally trained to understand if you're deluded and you're mm-hmm. pushing forward something that's yeah, that's not you really know, or you're a genuine person that's had an experience that you can't explain and you're suffering from the classical signs of shock and trauma and so forth and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he interviewed these sixty-seven kids. And, and, and sat there, I showed the, you know, his interview afterwards, and he said, look, these kids are normal. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them. These are displaying See, all of the... I love that. And what I liked about that was because the kids, with why, why I was, what a point I was trying to draw was that the kids didn't have a, don't have a hidden agenda. They've got no agenda. So like, you can see it as somebody who, like, like a lot of people can easily see it to people, oh, they've got an agenda, they're trying to sell this, trying right, to sell that. But right. with kids, it's a very, very point. interesting really place good to point. start from. Really good point. These kids were frightened by what they, what they experienced. And, and what I, what I, draw, I drew the comparison yesterday between the horrific way in which the children were treated at Westall, mm-hmm. which traumatised some of them. I even showed video of one of the women who spent 50 years, and it's clearly it's disturbed her, because all of the people around her have just rejected her and said, what drugs were you on at the time when she was a 12-year-old girl? Yeah. Come forward to the Zimbabwe incident, and I showed, not only did I show the children being interviewed yesterday, I also showed them being interviewed 20 years later as adults and how they'd coped with the situation much better 
than the people from the West do instant because they were treated with compassion yeah. and understanding and the teachers, even teachers that couldn't accept it didn't tell the children to shut up and not talk about it and that they were nuts and all that. So that was really interesting as far mm -hmm. as I was concerned that, that you saw this transformation of what could happen to these young children when they become adults as a, as a result of having something. I know, I know this is, I know off, nothing's off topic, but that certainly says to me that, because as a society, we like to sort of just, when we have problems, I know it's a little, nothing's off topic on this podcast, but I just wanted to highlight yeah. it. In society, when we have problems, we like to sort of just push them problems away and forget about them. But when you deal with your shit and that's in front of you, that's when you can actually overcome them and make yourself as a better right. human being. And that was basically the, the, the summing up of my talk yesterday was this. Um, I referenced the recent release of the Pentagon Papers, okay? You know, for years and years and years, the governments have said, no, 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 no. And they've actually played an active part. It's provable that they played an active part in playing down any of these incidents. First, back in the 50s and 60s, quite forcefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then through the media and stuff and brainwashing and, and basically culturally conditioning a climate so that as soon as somebody comes in the pub and says, I've just seen a UFO, yeah, sure. everyone's going to turn around and automatically say, what drugs are you on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that's what the culture has told you to do. A bit like you learn, at, you, know, you learn when you go to school as a kid that it's not good to grass on your mates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a written rule because the teacher's going to come in and say, that rule doesn't apply, right? You've got yeah. to tell me you broke that window, yeah, Jimmy, otherwise <laughs> you're going to get detention. And you go, no, I can't grass on your mates. <laughs> and you cut your pull between these two things, right? So we learn very early on, early on in life that there are two sets of rules in society, right? There's the yeah. one you follow with all the rest because otherwise you're considered a nutcase. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's even a psychological test that they did where they sent 10 students out of the room, nine students, there were 10 guys students, they sent nine of them out, uh, one of them out of the room, sorry, and they told, they drew three lines on a blackboard that were different lengths, A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. One was two, two inches long, one was an inch, one was half an inch, right? Something like that. Or, you know, a little bit closer together. Yeah. And they all conspired together to say, when we're asked which one's the longest one, we've got a lie and say it's the middle one, right? But Johnny out there doesn't know we're all conspiring together, and he's going to be the 10th one to answer the question, right? So they bring Johnny back in, and they stand him in the queue, and they go, right, boys, what's the longest one on there? And everyone goes, oh, it's B, Mr. James. Next one, B, Mr. James. <laughs> By the time he gets to the 10th one, he's, he, you've got two reactions. He can either go, you're nuts, it's this A, <laughs> or he can conform with the rest and say, oh, it's B. Do you know what the statistics are for how many people can fall? I said nine percent. That's seventy. <laughs> I've seen the one where um, the, uh, was it the colours one. Have you seen that one? We shared that on Facebook. The colours one no. where he says what's what's the biggest circle, and everyone says it's, you think it's a blue, and everyone goes yeah, I think it's a blue, and then goes ah, I think it's a red, and he says they're no different. They're no different. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of how they tried uh, in the Cold War how they caught um, Soviet um, spies. They would have um, if they didn't obviously speak Russian. Then they wouldn't get the colour, so it would be the like a red ball, but it would be like yellow written in Russian, and right. they got to see what colour is that. Right, right. They go red, and then the next one will be like blue, but in <coughs> Russian will be written green. They'll be like green. Ah, oh, that's fine. <laughs> right, that's it. <laughs> is your name Oblinch Gavinsky? <laughs> but it's a good point though, because it, it does highlight that deceptibility of of human beings in nature to be e easy to be persuaded in one way or another. That's right, and it's it's, a, it's, it's a, you know we live in a we live in a world that's been it, rather than being based on self, true self cultivation, yeah. it's been based on self image cultivation. Mm -hmm. An image is everything, isn't yeah, it? Face course. face. People would rather die. I mean, it's, it's what women say. I'd rather die than lose my face. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
And so, you know, if all your mates are saying, let go, believes in UFOs are a nutter, and you don't want to lose your mates, you're going to stay over here and go, oh, you're nutter. Yeah, laugh at them as well. Do you know what I mean? And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's how we treat people. And, and where did that come from? Where did it come from that we can't look at the details and say to that guy, well, come on then, let's have the facts, what's yeah. the details? And when he puts the feed details down, you watch people like not really pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Shut down. Yeah. That's a really interesting phenomenon. That's why I say phenomena B is actually more interesting than phenomena the lights in the sky. Because I ended my, as I was just about to say, I ended my talk yesterday by saying, look, the Pentagon papers and all of these things coming out saying, oh, the Pentagon have finally said, oh, yeah, there's these things flying around and we don't know what they are. Has it changed the world? No. It's, it's very interesting, this, this point, um, because what we're looking for, and I mentioned this um, yesterday when we had a, a, a very similar conversation with someone, we're holding out for a universal truth where the media can finally say, that's it. That's the bit that you've needed. Right. That's the truth. Yeah. There is fundamental evidence now that there is alien life form in whatever it'll be, whether yeah. it's like Mars attacks, whether it'll be a huge presentation yeah. or whether it's Independence Day, they're coming and crashing down. Yeah. They're after that universal truth. Yeah. And until we can all get on that level, there is always going to be that, nah, that, that's... Right. That's and that's why, that's why I don't believe that any amount of you know, UFO congresses and, and video evidence and, and right, even bodies, right? The Jaime Mansan has just discovered these bodies or he's involved in researching these bodies they've discovered. The results have been ongoing. They're not conclusive. Um, they said that from the start. Look, we're going to do a load of tests and we're going to check it. this out. It's very weird, but we don't know yet. And for the last 18, just over 18 months, I suppose, he's just been constantly attacked as a hoax without even, you know, and it, mm-hmm. if stepping forward and saying, well, we've done a DNA yeah. test and this is there. Um, I don't believe any amount of truth that's going to come out from these authorities or whatever, or revelations, is going to change the world. Because I believe that our own truth needs to be intertwined with that. Mm-hmm, that's a really good point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a really yeah. good point, um, and, 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 and you see, humility is the massive part of that. There's this phenomenon I talked about yesterday called willful blindness. It's a wonderful book by a woman called Margaret Heffernan, who's, who's basically collected a bunch of stories that demonstrate how, how easily and unbelievably we can be willfully blind to whatever mm-hmm. we choose to. And she cites a couple of various cases, but a couple of them that stand out are one, in America, there was, a, there was a town where lots of people were dying with respiratory problems. And it happened to be a town that manufactured asbestos. And so she did a bit of inquiries and she found out this asbestos stuff was not very good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she began to campaign and say, look, you know, this is killing the town. And, 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 and they know and actually know it's killing us and, and no one's doing anything about it. The, the town's people who were reliant on the work from the factory to buy their rubber doll turds from Japan for their little boy at Christmas, attacked her for trying to affect their livelihood, even though she was trying to save their lives. The other example was a doctor from London, who was a paediatric doctor who moved to Bristol. um, And he noticed after a while, working under an elderly um, professor that he was was his peer, that the children, 50% more children were dying than what he'd experienced in London. Mm -hmm. And that the operations were taking twice as long that were going on from what he'd seen in London. So he began to look at the statistics of this particular doctor and what what was happening to these children. And, you know, this huge 50% more babies were dying, right? Mm -hmm. And, And it seemed to be connected to this guy not being able to perform the operations in the right time. 
when he questioned the authorities about it and said, look, there's a problem here, he was attacked and because it's not the done thing to talk about your bosses like this and all that sort of business. And all the nurses and all of his, his doctors all went to extraordinary lengths to shut this man up, not to save babies' lives. And when finally it was conceded after this man basically ruined his career to expose this doctor, yeah. um, the doctors and nurses were interviewed and they said he shouldn't have said anything. Mm-hmm. He should have just kept his mouth shut. We should have just let them. Been, in other words, we should have just let the babies continue dying. Yeah. Jeez, that's crazy. It's that a it's a crazy phenomenon, but it's real, and 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 it, and it spreads across not just the paranormal phenomenon. It's even more easy in the paranormal phenomenon to people to just go blind themselves yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But when we when we can demonstrate cases like that of how we as humans, and so I don't believe we can move forward, grow, transform as a species, evolutionary the mind part, while we're deceiving ourselves. Yeah, so no matter what universal truth comes along, right? There and if there's always going to be a disconnect between what's inside and what's outside, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think the inside's got to change. It's got to be as I quoted Whitley Strieber yesterday and said that the discovery of the truth outside of us will have to be intertwined with the discovery of our own truths, mm-hmm. and and the discovery of our own truths is linked to us realizing our own self deceptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm or our own inability to listen to others and, and, and assess the facts based on objective. I, I, you know, I, I speak to so many people, because I was trained as a lawyer and stuff, I understand about making arguments, but you know, unfortunately the armchair critics and opinionists don't really understand yeah. what it is to make an argument about something. Mm-hmm. For example, I work with a Professor Glickman, who's an architect in the crop circles. Mm-hmm. He was a professor of architecture at the Youth University of Southern California, right? Now, a lot of people have come forward and said, um, crop circles can't, and he advocates that crop circles are a genuine phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, the argument is made against him that he can't, crop circles can't be real because Michael Glickman's not a real professor. Now, that is what's called an ad hominem argument. Yeah. That, that means, you know, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not addressing the facts of the case. I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. crop circles can't be real because of ABC that's connected to the actual crop circle, I'm saying they can't be real because you're a liar. They don't go together. Now, most people fall for that old chestnut. Or they'll fall, that's called a logical fallacy, and not Mm. an ad hominem. When when you analyse something logically, you're looking for what's called logical fallacies in somebody's Mm. argument. There's about 30 of them, right? Red herring, appeal to authority. If I say, oh, the crop circles must be man-made because everybody believes it. Does that prove it? Mm. No. Yeah, of course. if I throw in a red herring and a distraction and start saying other things, which, which the crop circle world and the UFO world is full of, red herrings and distractions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to identify those things in anybody's argument, you're going to fall for it. Yeah, of course. That's the bottom line. Yeah. When, when you were saying before, as well, I, I like that point, really good uh, point, by the way. Um, when you were saying before about um, the Pentagon, you said about how they were releasing the mm. latest UFO, these mm. UFO or crop circle documents. Um, Not crop circle, UFO stuff. UFO mm. stuff, yeah. Um, do you, I mean, I've questioned this before. Do you think that they actually could be getting us ready for something? <coughs> so they're doing that on purpose to get well, a, get a well, pop well, population? Well, given their track record, I wouldn't trust them. They'd be getting us ready for something to do with their own agenda yeah. to maintain control yeah, rather than tell us the bloody truth. Because yeah. there's one thing that's clear in history is that they don't bloody tell us the truth. Look at Trump and all this nonsense now. They've mixed... What they've done now with politics is to is to put so much fake stuff out there and so much 
um, other stuff mixed in that no one bloody knows how to determine the truth. Yeah. You've got mm-hmm. a guy that, turn, before he comes to England, says, oh, Mrs. Mays, you know, she's a dullard and she doesn't know what she's doing. Turns up, holds her hand and says, everyone, I'm in love with her. Then he leaves and says, oh, she's an old cow, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> this is the sort of politics, real politics that we're, we're doing. And people are just switching off and switching off yeah. because they know that if they bombard us with, you don't know where the truth is, yeah. they just switch off. Yeah, the that is, that's what's happening as well. On the it's, beginning. Happening. Oh, yeah. it's happening. It's happening. They've told agendas. so many lies for so long on so many issues. You can go, you know, vaccinations, who killed JFK? You know, whenever anybody asks any questions, they're, you know, they're shut up or there's various other things. They've told so many lies for so long that in now they just think, well, we might as well use it to our advantage. Yeah. Let's just tell lies and they'll believe us. And yeah. it's, for, it's interesting when you brought up JFK because for um, the last couple of years, I was still on my um, laptop saying, homepage and I was just fascinated with them the whole idea of the conspiracy around it and mm. I dove deep deep mm-hmm. deep and I realized I was even looking at like train snipers like um, yeah. engaging in, in, underneath in the manholes yeah the ground yeah that was, that's the most plausible explanation it seems to be actually. the most plausible explanation for the and trajectory of the shot <clears throat> and he went back to um, work and he had all that um, the muddy muddy clothes on and that and the boss was like how oh, about you like like, oh right, I yeah. don't remember that bit. That yeah. was after that okay. was that was the same guy who right. was, was under the under the manhole. And um what I found was there's so much evidence that's gonna point in so many different directions. I've just got to find something which I believe is the most plausible and that'll be my truth for that. Because I I couldn't keep it open for the rest yeah. of my life. And, and you see Personally, this has been the thing for me. See, one of the things I love about geometry, uh, one crop circles, is that they taught me something, you know, many, many things that I didn't know before I came into it. Um, there used to be a system of education in the, in the ancient Greece called the seven liberal arts. Um, the first three are called the trivium, which is grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Okay? So when you're born into this world, your mind's a blank slate, and the first thing that you start to get taught are words. The world is made of words, yeah. mm-hmm. right? As you as you learn, I could teach. I could I could perhaps mention a word now that you've never heard before, and then you go, "Oh, what's that word mean?" And then explain the word, and then you'll go out in the world, and you'll find coincidentally you'll come across it, and or it'll be on the telly, and suddenly your internal world has been enlarged, just like the outside mm. world by a word. Okay, and so we grow up and then we go to university and then we learn specialist words for our particular subject. So if I'm a lawyer, I'll learn a bunch of Latin phrases about, you know, tort and how people litigate against each other or conveyancing terms for buying and selling someone's house, all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Or if I'm a doctor, I'm going to learn a bunch of Latin words that, that tell me all the different things that are going on in your body. Mm-hmm. Now, if you come to me and say, I'm not very well, doctor, I'm going to use that grammar, those words, to kind of try and make a diagnosis. I'm going to examine the terrain of your body, just like a military general would, with his words over the landscape. And I'm going to go, right, okay, you've got this and you've got that, and you're telling me this, and your symptoms are presenting like this, and I'm using all my Latin phraseology, and I'm going to make a diagnosis, a written one. Or like a lawyer would make a legal argument against somebody. Same same thing, right? (laughs) Now, when you then look through that argument, you do so with logic. If I've made any of those logical fallacies in my argument, thrown in, oh, you know, he must have liver cancer because he drinks, mm-hmm. right? Or his dad drunk, and there's no evidence that that might have contributed yeah, yeah. to the thing. Then you throw that out, right? And then at the end of throwing it out and sifting through that and those logical fallacies, you're left with rhetoric, 
which is, was said to be the distilled wisdom from the argument, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The four, last four of the, of the seven liberal arts are called the quadrivium. Number, geometry, music, and astronomy, right? Number, you can think of the world is made of words for us, but for scientists, the world is made of numbers because numbers speak a different truth. Numbers don't kind of lie, right? Mm-hmm. They add up. Two add two is four. So we rely on numbers for an accuracy, okay? What was that? What was that? <laughs> Geometry is number in space. Mm-hmm. The triangle's three. The square's four. So it becomes its own language. Number in, sort of in space. That's geometry. Music is number in time. Astronomy is number in space and time. Because we observe the planets moving around in space over time. Mm-hmm. Now, if I draw a circle, any circle, and I draw a triangle inside that circle, and then I draw a circle inside that triangle, I now have two circles and a triangle. Okay, This is called Euclid's second theorem. That central triangle will be exactly half the size of the outside circle. Two to one. Two to one. Two of those inner circles will make up one of the whole. Mm. All right? Okay, now if I take a guitar, the top string of that guitar and it is an E note, one whole string. If I pluck that string, you'll hear an E, right? Now you don't have to be musically trained to know it's an E, you'll just hear da, right? Mm-hmm. If I push my finger at the halfway point of that string, dividing it into two to one, dividing it by half, pluck it again, I'm going to hear an E note, but an octave higher, a pitch higher. Oh, go, wow. ah. Now music bypasses the intellect. You don't have to be musically trained to know that those notes are the same but different. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so visually the circles are halfway and audibly there's a correlation between those ratios. Now when you draw a circle inside a triangle inside a circle today it will still be two to one, like it was two and a half thousand years ago when they were toying with it, and it will still be true in two and a half thousand years' time. It's what Plato called an ever-truth. Mm-hmm. It's something we as humans can nail down and go, there's a truth. There's something which no one can argue against. A circle inside a circle, inside a triangle, is a two to one. And if I pluck a guitar, we're all going to hear, unless you're tone deaf, you're going to hear an E note, right? Mm-hmm. It was an anchor for a philosophical inquiry into life, saying, like, we want to pursue truth, we want to pursue the truth of reality, and we want to pursue the truth of what our role is in reality. Philosophy, right? Lover of wisdom, invented by Pythagoras. So they use that as an anchor, that truth, together with grammar, logic, and rhetoric, to inquire about the world, mm-hmm. rather than basing it on opinion. I love that. That's, I mean, that's what the, um, just, I don't know, I keep saying nothing's off topic, but uh, it's a bit, little bit off topic, but that's what the um, Egyptians and stuff, the Mayans did, they understood that, what you just said there, about Every embedded that in seems. everything. Yeah. And this is where it's interesting, you know, I've got colleagues and friends to hear today from uh, megalithomania, you know, I work a lot um, with people who have done loads of work on the ancient stone circles and the measurements and geometry that we found inside the stone circles that were built several thousand years ago. Yeah. 
And what's interesting is that it seems that there's a correspondence in these archaeological sites that were constructed by our ancestors in all parts of the world that all contain geometry that we found hidden within crop circles, the, mm -hmm. the golden mean, Fibonacci sequence, and, and solutions to something called squaring the circle. It's an ancient geometric pursuit about philosophy and cosmology that not very many people are aware of, but was 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 really really studied for a very long time so long it got to when it got to 1800 in the french academy people trying to make a square the same size as a circle it sounds nuts right but there's, there's it's deep mm -hmm. it got to 1800 in the french academy and they banned it they said look no one no, it's impossible you can't you can't make a, a square you see is rational it's it, it you, you've got one one if you if you've got one side of it that's one foot long then, mm -hmm. then it's one by one by one it's rational right but a circle the diameter of that circle is one and if you measure the relationship between that one there between the outside it won't be three to one three times mm. that it'll be 3.1459264 on and on and on infinity there's a there's a relationship between finite and infinite contained within a circle a mm. bit like us right we have a finite life but we wonder if our spirit is infinite yeah yeah so a circle is a very big philosophical tool for contemplation about the human soul about life about reality people wouldn't think this about geometry because all we ever find out is that build a building with it of course i never thought about having a thought about that to be honest with you really? right really? so and so that's what really inspired me into the into the whole thing with crop circles and stuff because it came it was it the topic being being put forward by the crop circles was reminding us of a, a, the tools that our ancient ancestors had used and seemingly mastered because it's all hidden in their building of the temple pyramids at Giza and you know Tiwanaku and the they're everywhere right it seems like yeah. the best explanation it seems like it seems like our ancestors knew that we were all going to lose it Mm -hmm. And that they thought, right, what we need to do, boys, is build loads and loads of buildings with all this stuff in so that hopefully in the future, when they've all lost it and all gone off their minds and Trump says he's going to burn the world up, we're boiling more coal, that maybe these things that have lasted the test of the time, that have been earthquake-proof, they're going to discern the truths from them and realise that we're meant yeah. for more than working and down a coal mine. And like mm. you were saying before as well, they understood as well that they had to... to they maybe understood as well that people were going to be sceptical so they had what you said before they had to embed that deep mathematics rooted within so that right. when you go in it's, you it's can't undeniable. Yeah, it's undeniable yeah, and that's, it. what, that's what's there that's as well that's it and so with number you see that's the thing and number we think as humans that we invented number we think we come up with a system yeah we do well we did yeah. right animals don't count do yeah, they yeah. It, seems, it seems that crows can count there's mm -hmm. been some really interesting experiments about that and that's another story but we counted right we, and we thought well, we come up with a you know symbols one two and three and so on for it but once we did then we found out that number was already here for example you're born when you're born you have ah, five good teeth point. Good in each point. quarter of your mouth mm -hmm. they fall out and are replaced by eight teeth in each quarter of your mouth right five and eight are 13. okay if you go out and count most flowers you've got five petals if you count the buds on a pineapple or, or, or a fir cone, you're going to find five and eight and 13. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere, right? Life heavily uses these three numbers. And the interplay of numbers, how numbers play together, dictates whether a mu piece of music is either harmonious or disharmonious. If you put the wrong note in, the wrong number, the wrong length of string, you're you're and you don't have to be musically trained, you just know that someone's thrown in the wrong note. It didn't, it didn't work together. And that's essentially numbers playing together either harmoniously or, or disharmoniously. Well, that's the same as us. We play together nicely or not. 
Wow. So what, so what does that say to you about the, the nature of life? Well, it's talking about consciousness. Marie-Louise yeah. von Frange, you see, Jung, basically, you know, the modern psychological world had Jung and Freud, right? Jung said, look, we're all basically violent, aggressive sex maniacs neurotic with neurosis because we can't go out there and fuck everything and kill everything we want that's yeah. that's freud right uh, he took more cocaine than you could possibly imagine to come up with these yeah. theories i mean he was he liked it um but um you know essentially we're animals and, and we just want to fucking kill and and what we need to do is you know either suppress those things or, or the suppression of them through christianity or through other things causes an internal neurosis um, and, and that's why most people are suffering from psychological... This is th Freud, right? Jung said, maybe there's something else going on. Um, and he had a theory of quaternity of mind. So you have thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuition. He focused on the organs that we have to interact with the world and, and, and what goes on inside, intuition and so on, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, lost my thread, giving you a history lesson of psychology. What were we talking about? Yeah, so you're basically <laughs> talking about how you... Yeah, the you are right. So Marie Louise von Franz, who worked with Jung, plus other people. Okay, if we think about an archetype, right? An archetype is Jung Jungian psychology. So he would say that there was like the archetype of the mother. So we think about nurturing and you know unconditional love and so on. I mean, the archetype of the father is like the wind or strong or you know, forceful and the archetype of the jester or the king or mm. the, we have these archetypal figures um, which are said to be the kind of models within consciousness that we aspire to, whether we're the warrior archetype or whether we're the, you know, the yeah. fool or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So we think of archetypes in terms of characters. But Marie-Louise von Franz and Jung at the end of their careers said that they believe beyond that the primary archetype of consciousness is numbers, mm -hmm. but not numbers that we count, the qualities of numbers. Wow. Now we've never been asked to really consider numbers in, in accordance with their dynamic qualities. We've only ever been asked to deduct the change from when Jane goes and buys some oranges from the shop. That's what school taught us. Mm -hmm. But numbers have dynamic qualities. Why is, how is five different from four, for example? Why is everything that's to do with growth, regeneration, fivefold? Life, us, we are fivefold. Mm -hmm. We regenerate and produce offspring. Flowers, fivefold, produce offspring. Or inorganic life, like crystals, is sixfold. It's a kind of life, it grows, but it doesn't breathe or respirate. Yeah? Wow, we're still energetic. Do you get me? Yeah, so, so, so if you go through one to 10 and you start to examine the qualities of number, like one is wholeness. It's, it can be defined by a circle which has an inside and outside. It's a oneness, mm. right? Two-ness involves duality, the great yin-yang thing about push and pull, dark and light. Yeah. Yeah. Three-ness, if there were, if you can't have a stool, a tripod, you can't make a chair that stands on the ground and has stability without a minimum of three legs. Exactly. Two will fall over. If two people are fighting, a third one can inter intercede and become the mediator between them. So a third dynamic, the dynamic of three, changes the dynamic of the situation. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. it's really fascinating, right? So we find that there are qualities of numbers, of interplays of numbers, happening all the time between human relations, but we're totally unaware of them because we think it's all to do with a change from our oranges from the shop. Whoa. Fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? It makes you it makes also wonder about, like, I'm just going to sit this room, for example. I mean, when we look around, 
Why we primarily ha live on a, a round earth. Aha, uh, and good now man. we are living in squares. Squares. You get up every morning from your square bed. I used to love saying this. This is actually in a book. Uh, I can't <laughs> remember the author. I'll remember it in a minute. You get up in the morning in your square bed. Um, square TV. Yeah, you go, down, you, you go downstairs and have your breakfast on your square table with your square cereal box. You know what I mean? You get in your square car, you drive to your office and sit in front of your square computer screen. You're surrounded by it. Yeah. And yet if you go in nature in the woods and you see that there's recently been a death of a deer that's died or whatever, its body's decomposing and life is emerging all around it. Mm -hmm. Life seems to work in a circle. Yeah, it does. But, but, but reality for us, us here on Earth, as human beings, squares are very practical. Four, that's why four is, and the square is the symbol for Earth. We have four directions, north, east, south, and west. We mm -hmm. divide this globe into four. Um, we have picture window frames that are win uh, and window frames that are square, picture frames that are square. Because if we made them circular, can you imagine how difficult it would be and impractical it would be to have circular paving stones? <laughs> You'd have all these gaps in between them. They just don't work. Yeah. Whoa. Do you think though? Just a quick question. What? Do you think though? Because Native Americans, they were they were. Oh, they that. do everything they in circles. circles. Everything. So do you think that could be the square aspect of? Because like, I've actually I've thought of this before. Yeah. Could it be suppressing a part of our psyche or? Well, the square. Are? If you think of if you think of the two, we, we, you know, it's it's well established now that we have two halves of ourselves, don't we? The mm -hmm. two halves of the brain, the left and the right brain, yeah. which which are totally different to each other. Yeah. And they're only joined together by. 300 million axonal neurofibers called the corpus callosum or something, right? That joins the two hemispheres together. But there's, there's a distinct separation. Mm -hmm. One operates as a linear processor, the other operates as a parallel processor. So in other words, you know, one is completely rational and square and takes A with B with C and walks along in this pedagogical fashion. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other side seems to have this kind of corpus in the center and it will take an information information from over there and randomly join it with information over here and connect them in ways that yeah. the other side of our brain simply can't wow. so we've got these two completely we the i in all of that has to balance between do you know what i mean yeah and so this dictates how we look at the world we can either be completely rational so let's say for example look at the philosophy of plato right plato said Everything in the world is a facsimile, an imperfect um, copy of that which exists in the perfect ideal realm, right? Mm -hmm. And the ideal realm can only be accessed by our minds. It's, it's not here on earth. So the ideal table is somewhere else, an abstract, right? It's not here because this will be an imperfect table. We can only make things imperfect here. <laughs> so. He's, he's basically saying that there's, there's this other place that can only be accessed by a mind where, where perfection is. And as, as we've come from that place and created the physical world and all the rest of it, we can only create copies of something which exists perfectly in our mind somewhere, maybe from the source or the creator, right? He didn't mm -hmm. say the creator, but in this other place. 1,600 years later, or you know, a little bit longer than that, 2,000 years later, Descartes comes along and says... Look, I think therefore I am, right? I am a thinking thing. That's the only truth I can rely on, he said, is mm -hmm. that even if I think I'm not thinking and then I'm thinking that I'm not thinking, so I'm thinking. Yeah. So I I think therefore I am, whatever is the is the is the famous saying of Descartes. And what that said was, Descartes said, if you want to understand reality, if you want to understand the world, then you need to detach yourself from everything. You need to you need to push away all the influences that have ever been put on you and you need to sit in your chair and go right back in your mind and just purely think. And only there will you find truths, mm -hmm. right? 
And that philosophy existed and lasted and sustained for two and a half thousand years until 1930 when a man called Martin Heidegger come along and wrote a book called Being and Time and, and introduced the study of phenomenology, which said that, you know, from Plato's, let's, let's think about a hammer, right? Plato said, if, if, if Plato would say there is an ideal hammer in mind somewhere because otherwise we would never have had the concept to create a hammer it's come from this perfect place to, so that we can create a hammer mm -hmm. and he would say this hammer is 10 inches long it's made of wood it's it's, ha it's the, the, the handle is made of wood the top's made of a certain steel it's this color and he would list off boringly all these properties to do with the hammer right mm -hmm. martin heidegger and, and we're supposed to understand the truth of a hammer from from those descriptions all those lists right Martin Heidegger come along and said, look guys, if you want to understand the hammer, fucking pick it up and use it, yeah. right? Yeah. Use the hammer. And so that's what philosophy means. Philosophy means how we connect with objects in the world, Yeah. right? Because from the connection becomes an expression and an understanding. So you start using a hammer. The first thing you're going to start doing when you start using a hammer as a kid is thinking a lot because otherwise you're going to hit your thumb. Mm -hmm. yeah, your dad's going to be standing over and he's going to go, careful there, son, you know, hold the bottom of the hammer, use the leverage, he's going to teach you the best techniques and you're going to use all the muscles in your arms and your mind connected to using that hammer. And you're going to get more and more efficient at it the more and more you go on. Yeah. And in the end, the last thing you're ever going to do is think when you're using the hammer. You're going to do it completely unconsciously. And when you do, something special happens. Speak to a jazz musician. When he first starts learning to play the guitar, he's learning all this, he's thinking that he's there, I'm trying to get my fingers to do this. Coming in the floor stood. Right, he becomes a master when he doesn't think anymore. And that's that connection to the, ob oh, yeah, that connection to the object, right, is, is, is just second nature. It's like even if without the guitar, you'd still play it. Right. The last thing they do, any masters, anyone who's mastered anything, a Japanese carpenter who makes traditional houses, a jazz musician who plays the, any instrument, a painter, a sculptor, anybody that looks... Think about this, right? A cook. I know, if I know a woman who's 80 years old who's been cooking all her life, right, and, and she makes this amazing soup, right, and you say, well, what's the recipe? And she said, oh, tomatoes and onions and garlic and da da da. I can take the same ingredients, but I never make it the same as her. Yeah. It won't taste the same, right? Why? It's the same ingredients. Yeah. I watched what they're doing. Here's why. She's done it so many times that she's been able to identify subtle changes, subtleties in the process of cooking. It might be a smell at a certain time when she goes, I need to turn the heat down there. And she just does it without thinking. Or this is the point when I add this at that point when there's a certain colour change. But general, people who would just look at the world generally would, wouldn't notice those subtleties. Mm -hmm. so, so they'd just carry on cooking and it wouldn't taste, you get me? Yeah. So mastery of the world comes from diving into the world and using stuff and getting, eventually getting thinking out of the way and then something magic happens. Artists create new tunes, painters come up with new things, it's like their mind taps into this other place right yeah. which they all then say is the muse or you know their spirit guides or whatever you want to call it right but the point is our mind has access to another place where good ideas come from mm -hmm. or expressions of new innovative music comes from or whatever right new recipes for cooking 
Mastery of yourself and mastery of the world comes from immersing yourself and connecting with objects and mastering them. It doesn't come from sitting down like a moron and thinking about it, like Descartes said. I love that. I love that. That's probably a powerhouse to leave it on as well. Four. Absolutely what fantastic. a fascinating podcast that was, by the way. Really fascinating. Well. Yeah, what knowledge fuck. in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Hell. I love that. I'm very curious about life, guys. Holy moly, that was a mind blast. What an interesting guy Gary was. And I really loved how this conversation went all the way from crop circles to UFOs to the human mind to perception and philosophy. Really interesting stuff. And I've also as well put a few videos of the children who were witnessing, who witnessed the UFOs in Zimbabwe in New Zealand, which I think it was. But anyway, them videos are in the show notes if you want to check them out, which we talked about in this podcast. And all the other links and resources are there as well. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that for our Patreon page. And if you feel that these conversations just add a little bit of value to your life or just help you get through the day or whatever, please just consider supporting us through our Patreon page. And alternatively, we also now have a one-off donation option, which a few people have been using. We're really grateful for that. And as you know, we're never going to run stupid ads on this podcast or commercialize this thing. This is a home-crafted podcast built for you, the people, and not for stupid companies or products or advertisements to get your to get their hands on your psyches and buy things that you don't even need. We respect that. So anyway, we love you all, wherever you are in the world. Keep seeking everyone. Peace and love. <laughs> <laughs>